There he goes. Uh-oh. Here, let's let's flip things around a little bit. Now ah, we're talking. What's going on, everybody? It is Trey and BK live on Texas Sports Unfiltered. Today is Monday, September 4th, 2023. Shout out to Mike Hardball Harge. The first ever episode of Hanging with Harge is in the books. Always fantastic stuff with Hardball. Also, shout out to Chaos Theory, Adam Wagner, and Rodney Rodriguez. Their debut episode took place from 10 to 11 this morning. It is the first day we are rolling out the all-day lineup on TSU live from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. As Mike just mentioned, Chip and Zay coming up from 1 to 3. And then, Trey, you are part of the currently unnamed afternoon show here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. Today, it will be you and Jeff Howe coming up from 3 to 5. I know you're excited about this hour, but I know you're excited about that one, too. Yeah, and I've given some consideration to possible names for three to five, considering that it is a bit of a uh, co-host rotation, not just with those guys, but also me having to miss Wednesdays because of another obligation right now. So I've thought of everything from shooting the bull, which is what yours and my first show was called that Wednesday night show way back in the day where we led into Ricky Williams and Casey stuttered doing something at the old radio station Mm. to a suggestion that somebody had last week, Texas roulette, a little play on the uh, Russian roulette bit and uh, sort of a pick your poison sort of thing. And then another idea that I had had for, I forget if it was a channel name or a show name, back before we even started this deal, and that would be the Longhorn Misfits, which I think fits for Kevin and me, but I don't know if Jeff, considering the uh, their professionalism that he still needs to uh, maintain for the Horns 24-7 side of things, wants to be considered a misfit amongst Longhorn fans. <laughs> I'm not sure he does, but I don't know. I think he'd listen. Okay. I think he'd listen. That's a good idea. And we'll take some suggestions, too, if you guys have any on the uh, YouTube chat line. By the way, for those of you listening on the app or for those of you watching on YouTube, it does not matter. We are working on adding a text line to Texas Sports Unfiltered. That's right. So another way for you jabronis out there to get into contact with us, all of the shows here on T. As you so be uh, on the lookout for that ton of exciting announcements. We've already made a bunch of them, but we've got more stuff cooking here at Texas Sports Unfiltered. The future is very, very bright. We want to make this uh, as fun and enjoyable for us, but also as fun and as enjoyable to you guys as we possibly can. The great Adam Wagner always cooking with a flamethrower here. He says, how about the afternoon gangbang? I don't think that one's going to make the final cut, Wags, but I do appreciate the input go with the uh, afternoon delight that's a Ooh. classic one right there yeah one a little burgundy a little burgundy we'll figure that one out though but yes keep it locked in all day long you don't need to go anywhere else all of the content you need is right here at texas sports unfiltered make sure you subscribe to youtube make sure you like this video make sure you download the free texas sports unfiltered app wherever you get your apps all right Tons of college football conversation on today's show. We will get to where we at in society in the final 10 minutes, but we're talking plenty of Longhorn football, and we'll go around the Big 12 and around the country and talk about our biggest takeaways from the opening weekend of the 2023 college football season. But we start right here in Austin, Trey. You were at the game at DKR on Saturday. The Longhorns get the win 37-10. to 10. Uh, you did post game with KD, but I spoke this morning, so I'm going to give you the floor first. Your biggest takeaways from what you saw from the Longhorns' 37 to 10 season opening victory. Well, before I get to what I saw, let's talk about what was felt, and that is extreme heat. Kudos to everybody who showed up for the game at DKR on Saturday. It was a hot one. There was a reason why you were finding tickets for much cheaper than you might on a normal home opener, but credit to the crowd that showed up. It was kind of your standard Texas crowd of uh, getting up and cheering when they needed to and not necessarily getting loud like an SEC base otherwise, but showing up is a big part of the battle, especially when it's 100-plus degrees outside. So tip of the cap to uh, everyone who was in the stands a couple of days ago. As far as the game itself, BK, 
I mean, I feel like it's been talked about ad nauseum to this point, but the offense was a, a big disappointment in the first half. And that's not to say there weren't decent things here and there, but really what it comes down to is them not doing a good enough, good enough job of finishing off drives or getting keyed down in distance situations to go in their favor. There were a couple of fourth and short misses for this offense and a couple of third down opportunities that uh, led to punts or in some cases field goals. And as a result, this game looked a lot closer than it actually was heading into the locker room. Now, That's maybe the bad from the first half of Saturday's game. The good is that this defense, at least through a single game, is as advertised. That defensive line is sick. Devondre set uh, sweat. If he wants to continue playing like that for the rest of the year, will not only be an all conference guy, there's a chance he's going to be in that all American conversation when it's all said and done a little bit left to be desired from David Benda at the linebacker position, but you like that. He did lead the team in tackles did have that coverage bust that led to a 30 plus yard gain on what I want to say is maybe a third down, a crossing route over the middle where he lost his guy. And I think the secondary overall played pretty well too, especially when you can Consider that all these guys were rotating ad nauseum throughout the game because it was so hot on the field. The coaches were making sure that uh, no one guy got too taxed in a given moment. And so I think when you take into account the fact that nobody was really able to get into a good rhythm because they weren't in there for, let's say, eight to 10 to 12 plays in a row, uh, the defense is showing that uh, they are one cohesive unit right now. That is a great sign. Look, as far as that offense goes, even though we're a little bit concerned about the interior offensive line, especially going forward, I think the offense showed what they're capable of in that third quarter and I think that is what you're building on more than feeling discouraged about what we saw in the first half yeah it was a tale of two halves for the Texas offense but it was a tale of four quarter dominance for the Texas defense I think you hit the nail on the head with everything you said there my friend the Texas defense was dominant it started up front look that's how it's supposed to look when Texas plays Rice right we expected the Longhorns D-line to be able to dominate in the trenches and they did just that that was great to see because all offseason long Everybody has hyped up this defensive line group, and we know the opponents get a lot tougher as the season goes along, but to see them just impose their will over Rice for all four quarters was pretty fun to watch. You know, I brought up the UTSA versus Rice game last week where Rice had 32 carries for five rushing yards, and I said, look, Texas can give up more than five rushing yards, but I want the stat line to look something like that. How about 25 carries for 27 rushing yards? For Rice, they averaged just over one yard per carry. They averaged just 0.3 yards before contact on their runs on Saturday. So you want to talk about imposing your will. You want to talk about ruining somebody's offensive game plan. That's exactly what the Texas defensive front did. They were great against the run. They also were getting pressure on JT Daniels all afternoon long, making life miserable for him. Uh, The defense as a whole was special. The linebackers were good. You brought up the bend up play. He also had what a sack on the very next play. That was pretty cool to see a nice bounce back from Benda on, uh, yeah, what turned out to be the biggest play that Rice had offensively for the entire game. Jalen Ford obviously did his thing with that sick one-handed interception. He picked up right where he left off. The secondary was good. So, yeah, the defense, like, that's that's without question the biggest positive for this Texas team. They did give up that late touchdown drive. But, I mean, like, I get it. I wanted to keep them out of the end zone. But that it took Rice nine and a half minutes to go 62 yards to score. Like they, they had to nickel and dime the hell out of Texas. And obviously, I would have preferred Texas to have been able to get off the field. But like that was the one blemish. It took Rice nearly 10 minutes to find the end zone against Texas's third string defense. Like it was, yes, it's Rice, but still, they have a couple of talented cats. They have some experience on that offense. The defense just did whatever it wanted. That was a dominant performance by this Longhorn group. And you say as advertised, they were a little bit better than I expected them to be on Saturday. Hmm. I don't know about better, but that's only because it was Rice that was testing that defense. So uh, I understand where you're coming from with that. And look, I mean, Jalen Ford is so good. I mean, the guy is great regardless of uh, what is asked of him. Uh, Obviously, he can uh, step up into a hole and and make a big-time tackle, but he is so good in coverage also. We saw another example of that on Saturday, BK, with uh, what was 
nearly a one-handed snag. It turned into a one-handed tip drill to himself for his first turnover force of what will likely be many during this 2023 season. But uh, I don't feel like the secondary was tested a whole lot. And so that's obviously something that will be changing this weekend in Tuscaloosa, as will Texas' ability to uh, really stifle the opposition's rushing attack, which they did a great job of. But you know Alabama brings it uh, at a different level, especially yeah. with how good of a runner Jalen Milrow is. Milrow, at least through one game against a scrub opponent, looks like he's better as a passer right now, too. So... I'm excited to see what Texas uh, can do this weekend, even if they don't win the game necessarily. If they can come out there and show that, yes, they have taken the necessary steps forward to not just compete for a Big 12 championship, but hopefully win one and maybe find themselves in that college football playoff conversation when it's all said and done. Yeah, I mentioned this to Bucky this morning. You know, I, I was looking for two things in this Texas Rice game. Number one, things that give me optimism for Texas going into Tuscaloosa this week. And number two, things that give me concern for Texas going into Tuscaloosa this weekend. Uh, the defense, it's all optimistic, man. It's all optimistic. You're 100% right. Like, JT Daniels was a freaking statue back there. And Jalen Milrow is one of the most electric playmaking quarterbacks in college football. So it's a totally different offense and a totally different quarterback. And hell, all the personnel is significantly better, of course, on Alabama than what they saw against Rice. But I didn't see anything from the Texas defense that gave me any concern about what Texas could do against Alabama. Like, that's what I was hoping for. Offensively, I can't say the same. I don't think any Texas fan could say the same. But, like, defensively, they did the job to the point. I'm still nervous because it's Alabama. But like, I'm not more nervous. I actually feel a little bit better about this defense's chances to have a strong performance against Tommy Reese's offensive bunch in Tuscaloosa based on what I saw against Rice a couple of days ago. Yeah, let me ask you about what is most concerning on the offensive side of the ball right now then. Yeah, it's the O-line. It's the O-line. I mean, it's look, Quinn Ewers wasn't great, and he was inconsistent, and he showed a lot of the same issues that plagued him last year on Saturday, but a lot of that had to do with the offensive line. And that that was, God, it was so disappointing, man. Like, I finally buy into a Texas offensive line. This is the first time in like 15 years where I've been like, no, I feel good about the big uglies up front, and this group's going to be fine, and we're not going to have to talk about how much of an issue the Texas O-line is every Monday show. But here we are on the first Monday show of the season talking about how much of an issue the offensive line is. And the tackles were fine. Although Kelvin Banks did give up a sack. He gave up one sack last year, like for the entirety of last year. And then he's already given up that sack in week one this year against Rice. I didn't love seeing that. Uh, but still, for the most part, the tackles were fine. But just yeah, the, the interior of the offensive line, whether it was run blo uh, blocking, whether it was pass blocking for Quinn Ewers. I mean, Ewers getting sacked three times in the first half is unacceptable. Uh, Texas not being able to pick up multiple fourth down and shorts against Rice is unacceptable. Like that, that I was not expecting that, and that was really disappointing. And I can't remember what year it was, Trey. It was a Tom Herman year. Hell, there was probably a Charlie Strong year and a late Mac year where this happened too. But the, the Texas offensive line looked like it had never seen a twist or a stunt in their lives. And that's what happened. I feel like you and I were doing shows a few years ago talking about, like, how is this possible? These guys are college football players at the University of Texas, and they look like they have no clue what to do when somebody twists or stunts. Rice was doing that all game long, and Texas just couldn't figure it out. The communication was awful, and that was a big part of why the offensive line struggled as much as it did. Yeah, I feel like there are some hints of uh, Derek Wareheim within Texas offensive line struggles against twists and stunts, especially against TCU and Oklahoma for a couple of straight years. It was baffling to watch that same problem arise over and over again. And I certainly understand the offensive line concerns. You trust Coach Flood to continue helping those guys to develop and evolve, especially the interior guys, some of whom are starting their first ever game at the college level. I will couple that with one other issue that is very concerning to me right now, BK. Quinn Ewers had a bit of an up-and-down game. 
I am starting to wonder if we are watching a guy who does have a really good arm, but is also a one to two read quarterback max. And yeah, him insisting on throwing deep balls off of his back foot versus stepping into those throws is going to keep him from ever being good downfield until he changes that bad habit. What's more concerning to me than anything else. Cause I actually think people were being a little bit harsh on Quinn, especially in the first half, because they were very close to completing a couple of plays, including a, an obvious drop by Jonathan Brooks that would have been a touchdown that completely changes uh, how that game looks going into halftime. The biggest concern for me, especially considering the interior offensive line struggles is how poorly Quinn Ewers moves around in the pocket. Kevin and I talked about this in the post game straight line. Quinn Ewers is decent. We saw him pick up what I think is his biggest rushing gain of his career, like 15 yards or something and picking up a first down. If he has green in front of him, he can hit that straight line and pick up the necessary yardage, but him moving laterally him moving side to side or him crossing his feet to try and avoid pressure. I don't know how a guy loses 15 to 20 pounds from last season and looks less athletic, but that was the case on Saturday, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a good point. I did hear you guys talking about that in the post game, and you're right. Like I, I was expecting a big jump in athleticism from Quinn Ewers because of the body transformation he underwent in the offseason, and we didn't really see that at all. He, he still looks uncomfortable at times back yeah. there. And look, when the offensive line plays as poorly as it did on Saturday, then I get it, and I think part of those – footwork issues that we saw from Quinn was because he was just worried that someone was going to be in his face on every single play, but you're right. He's got to figure that stuff out. Like I, I guess Quinn yours is just never going to be a dual threat. And I guess like running is never going to be a big part of his game, but all off season long, Trey, what was the narrative around Quinn Ewers? So he's working on the deep ball. He's working on the deep ball. He's working on the deep ball. And because of that, I expected it to be better. And it wasn't, it wasn't, I had a tweet that I sent out at halftime where I basically said, new, I basically said, I did say, uh, new haircut, new diet, same Quinn Ewers. And a lot of people took that as, BK thinks Quinn Ewers sucks. No, 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 no. It was just the same Quinn Ewers we saw last year, where it's clear the guy has arm talent. It's clear he can make some special plays, but also the deep ball is still not there. The footwork is still a problem, and he's way too inconsistent. Like, it's exactly what we saw last year. So that's that's disappointing. Now, it's one game, and maybe Ewers puts it together. He can build off that. Hopefully the offensive line is better. Hopefully his running backs aren't dropping easy touchdown passes, and he gets a little bit more help from the 10 guys around him on offense. But it, it, it was – God, it just felt like they could have played that game a week after Washington, and it was the same Quinn Ewers. Like that, that's what I saw, and that is not what I had hoped – I'd hope to see a pretty night and day difference, right? The physical stuff is obviously different with the hair, the weight. That was tangible, but I didn't see vast improvements from really any area of Quinn Ewers' game, which obviously is disappointing. I think I read this from our friend Paul Wadlington's offensive post-mortem over at Inside Texas over the weekend. I want to make sure to give proper credit here. But Quinn Ewers' arm strength almost works against him when you're talking about him uh, going for some of his secondary reads, but especially when you're talking about him throwing that deep ball because he can get away with having sloppy mechanics because that arm strength is so ridiculous because he just kind of whips it in there on those short to intermediate passes. So then he tries the same thing, maybe in the face of pressure, or maybe it's just how he likes to throw deep balls at times, but you don't get that consistency when you don't have the consistent mechanics. And so I, I would have assumed that that, that's something that Steve Sarkeesian would have worked really hard with him in the offseason. And as you just said, we've heard that he has gotten better at the deep ball as a result to go along with the footwork too, by the way, it was confusing to me to see a guy that, that looks so sloppy footwork wise when that wasn't as apparent last year. I don't think maybe I just have a false memory of it right now, but seems to have taken a step backward in that regard. And he's the same exact guy as far as trying to push the football 30 plus yards downfield. Let's hear from Steve Sarkeesian. This comes from the post-game press conference on Saturday. He was asked about his thoughts on Quinn Ewers' performance. I thought for the most part he did. I thought there were moments where, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys noticed today, but Coach Milwee was on the field for us this year. So he's kind of down having his position coach on the field and Coach Jackson was upstairs. So I thought Coach Milley and he have good rapport. And I thought that helped when things maybe got a little uneasy, uh, when the protection wasn't quite as good as we would have liked it to have been. Um, 
I thought he got himself kind of recentered, and that was a real positive for me because a year ago, you know, he got sacked a couple times there at the end of the first half. I don't know what might have happened coming out into the second half. Today, he comes out in the second half, looked much more comfortable, so he was able to recenter himself, which I think shows a lot of maturity on Quinn's part. Uh, but I think also having that rapport, having Coach Milwe on the field, I think was helpful as well. That's a fair analysis by Sark, too, by the way. Like, he he is correct. That would have snowballed into something much uglier in the second half. And maybe you can say, well, if the opponent is better, then maybe we see something different there. But he was also uh, taking that first read and putting the ball on the money in the third quarter, too. So he was able to collect himself, take some breaths, and realize that, yeah, it may have happened 15, 20, 30 minutes ago. That's in the past, and it's time to focus on that very next play, and he did a great job of it in the third quarter. I agree, and I think Sark's right, and I think I'm glad you threw that caveat there too, right? Uh, The opponent, the opponent, the opponent, but still, it was good to see Quinn Ewers, after a disappointing first half, come out there in the third quarter and lead three touchdown drives, right? That third quarter was dominant, and that was another positive takeaway I had from Saturday's performance You know, the third quarter last year, Trey, was nightmare fuel for Texas. Like, they were awful in third quarters last season, and it just didn't make any sense how just week after week after week, Texas would just get blasted on the scoreboard, and the eye test wasn't much better either. Just coming out of the locker room, they looked way too sluggish, and thankfully that didn't happen, right? The defense didn't give up a point in the third quarter. And once again, the offense had three possessions and scored 21 points. So it's rice. Of course, you take it with a grain of salt, but that's those are two things that, okay, maybe we're a little bit different, right? Coming out of the locker room, actually playing well, and then Quinn Ewers responding to a little bit of adversity. I know we've talked about that a lot on this show leading up to the season is what happens when there's some sort of adversity. Well, it's rice. You're obviously going to see a lot more adversity moving forward because every other game on Texas's schedule maybe outside of your mark, you is uh, tougher than rice, but uh, there's going to be adversity. How do you respond? Quinn at least did a, a pretty solid job, and he also didn't turn the football over. Like that was, that was good for Quinn Ewers. Texas won the turnover battle three to nothing. Uh, Ewers was smart with the football, even though the deep balls were th- what they were and the footwork was what it was. He, he didn't make that costly uh, game changing backbreaking type of mistake that we saw. It felt like too often, last year so there were plenty of positives even though the first half was just and it kind of felt like texas was stuck in neutral for the first 30 minutes on offense there were uh, there were a few positive takeaways from from what quinn did and what uh, this offense did yeah 19 of 30 for 260 yards three touchdowns and no turnovers those aren't terrible numbers there I, I don't care who the opponent is would you like the completion percentage to be above 70 yeah sure maybe but I think that's also a little bit of cherry picking because there were some drops that were much more on the receiver than they were Quinn Ewers in that game. And thinking back to last year, there were moments where he's facing that pressure and starting to stumble around in the pocket or trying to escape the pocket. While all of a sudden he just kind of flips the ball up or the ball ends up going behind him in some way, shape or form. And the defense uh, flips the field pretty quickly because that, becomes a turnover so if Quinn Ewers can limit the turnovers in those moments where he is about to go down or maybe kind of takes himself out in allowing for that sack that's progress right there even though it sucks that it's a negative play it's not as big of a negative as it would have been in 2022 I just why why does the deep ball not work why why is that not there it's very simple Xavier Worthy is the fastest person on the field he's one of the fastest people in college football do not underthrow him. Do not under like send it. He's gonna go get it. And it it was God last year we saw it time and time again. And once again, all off season long, all we heard is that Quinn Ewers has worked so much on the deep ball, and he's gonna be way better at that this year. And it was the exact same. There was that one to AD Mitchell where he got tackled. I don't know how there wasn't a penalty on that, but still, like that. Maybe it was the ref who was like, "Dude, screw y'all. I'm not rewarding this god awful throw." If, if Quinn Ewers throws it on the money, it's an easy touchdown. Refs aren't supposed to think like that, but like that, that shouldn't have been oh, relying on the officials to make the call. And by the way, if you're relying on the officials at all this year, we've talked about it. You're going to be having a bad time. The deep ball, man, like there were five or six times where a Texas wide receiver had a step, if not two or three on the rice secondary. And Ewers just puts way too much air on it, or he's throwing it out of bounds. And it's like, dude, like, if, if this offense, Trey, is going to be a 40-point-per-game offense, and they couldn't get to 40 against Rice, which is scary, if they're going to be a 40-point-per-game offense, 
that really has a shot to be special and, and have Texas in the conversation amongst the best teams in college football this year, they have to be able to connect on those deep shots. They, they still can't do that. And that sucks. Ooh, shots fired from Brooks here. Quinn Ewers deep ball is about as accurate as a BK first pitch. It's about half as accurate. My first pitches are better than what Quinn Ewers is throwing. Okay. All right, two thoughts based on being in the stands on Saturday, BK. And one of these observations goes back to last year, obviously, because we've already discussed it up to this point. There was a crosswind coming through the stadium on Saturday that was causing uh, deeper balls to hang up there a little bit more. And sometimes that leads to the ball not going as far as you want to. Regardless, though, if Quinn Ewers is not stepping into his throws, it doesn't matter. I guess if you have a gale force wind behind you, then you can still get away with it. If he's insisting on not stepping into those throws or just straight up throwing it off of his back foot, that's what you're going to see far more often than not. Yep. That's the sad reality of it right now. So I don't know if that's something that you can correct the week leading up to that Alabama game. But if not, I understand Steve Sarkeesian sees that as a a valuable and necessary part of the offenses that he calls. It's a wasted play, though, right now. If you can't get Quinn Ewers to throw that ball correctly. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I you need that. You need that element of your offense. You need to have the ability to take the top off a of defense. And I think Texas has the receivers to make it happen. But if the quarterback can't make it happen, then there's no point. Like Quinn Ewers is a really, really good short and intermediate thrower of the football. I mean, really, really good thrower of short and intermediate passes. But yeah, like against Alabama, you got to be able to keep them honest. Otherwise, they can keep their safeties close to the box and shut down your run game. Like you just you have to have the ability to throw the ball 20 or more yards in the air and be successful there and you know that 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 can segue us into another Sark cut because somebody early in the postgame press conference asked Sarkeesian if the offensive mistakes are correctable by the time they play Alabama because it's not like they have another off season to work with between now and the next game. They've got 7 days, now 5 days before the biggest game on their schedule. Here's Sark talking about whether or not those mistakes can be fixed by Tuscaloosa. Yeah, that, that's that's of course. You know, I don't. You know, if I if I thought you know we didn't we just were inadequate, then then it'd be a problem. But I definitely don't think we're inadequate. I think we have a good football team. Um, that's the life of a coach is to find the things where we can improve, and then continue to emphasize the things that we do well. Um, naturally, you know, you you can't go in the fourth quarter as a, as a backup and get back-to-back personal fouls and then you can't fumble the snap. And that's why you have to give those guys that experience because they have to get in the game and have some of those growing pains. Um, But the beauty of it, I thought, for the frontline guys offensively was that they were able to make that adjustment at halftime and find that rhythm in the third quarter um, and have three straight drives and, and have really good execution. So that was a real positive for me of growth in moment in the game that uh, I think we can build upon. Yeah, we weren't ass against Rice for four quarters on the offensive line. I mean, come on, come on, coach. Like that one, I, I can't I, – I just did the Quinn Ewers spin zone, but the fact that, like, the offensive line just didn't suck in the second half, I don't view that as a real positive. Like, that's just – thank God. It, it, it prevented a negative from being worse of a negative, I guess, if uh, if they played like that for all four quarters. You know, Sark is an interesting dude to listen to in that Q&A setting because he can give some really earnest answers. But I've also realized over the last three seasons now, BK, that he can bullshit with the best of them, too, when he needs to. And there's another example from postgame that I am 100% positive that he was just feeding bullshit to the media, but he was doing so in a way that I think is trying to maybe give his team, I don't know if you call it an advantage, but to try and protect one of his guys who may be playing either against Alabama this weekend or in the next couple of weeks. And that would be him updating CJ Baxter's injury. He said CJ Baxter injured his ribs falling on the football. There's just two problems with that BK. Go back and watch that play. Football is up high. It's not below him when he falls. He falls directly on that shoulder. The other problem with that too is that I had the perfect vantage point to watch CJ Baxter as he got up and walked along the sideline. He was grabbing his shoulder. So is Steve Sarkeesian saying that to protect CJ Baxter to keep defenses from going after his shoulder? Absolutely. I don't fault him for that at all. But it was also interesting to see just how quickly 
the media and the fans ate that up without really doing some critical thinking to see if that was actually the case. Yeah. The good news is CJ Baxter practiced today. So see Sarkeesian. (laughs) Oh, we got a conspiracy theory. We're doubting Sark. He may, he may very well have, but it looked like CJ Baxter, I don't know, mild sprain of his shoulder or something. But if so, I mean, if you're Steve Sarkeesian, you don't show those cards. I don't fault him at all for saying that. I Even thought it was CJ Baxter didn't practice today. Excuse me, Trey. I thought it was a collarbone. Like just the way CJ Baxter got up, the way he fell, and then the way he got up holding that shoulder. I'm like, oh, this is what Quinn Ewers dealt with last year. And we're going to be without CJ Baxter for the next month or so. Uh, apparently, it's not that. I don't know if it's a shoulder. It didn't look like a rip. Like you said, it was pretty clear that Baxter was reaching for the shoulder right after he got up. But either way, you guys, you guys saw that on television too. Yeah. Then, Yeah. 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 And I went back and rewatched the game yesterday and, and, and saw what you saw. So either way, it's good. Like Sark sounded kind of optimistic in the post game press conference. And the fact that, well, at least we think the fact that CJ Baxter was playing conspiracy Trey, maybe not so much. Uh, what about Jed fuel? What's your take on Jed fuel, Trey? Uh, CJ Baxter playing doesn't seem serious. And hey, that's good because you need all hands on deck for Alabama. And it was frustrating because CJ Baxter just ripped off his best play of the game yeah. leading up to that injury too. If there's a silver lining, I guess, if you want to call it a silver lining, it's that, I, I don't know, should Jonathan Brooks have probably been the starter to begin with considering the experience from last year and how good he looked in that game? I know he had the drop on what could have been a touchdown on that swing pass, but his very first touch went for a touchdown, a career-long reception where he finds his way into the end zone for the first Longhorns touchdown. And he looked good carrying the ball too. So do I want C.J. Baxter back out there in Tuscaloosa? Absolutely. But I'm also confident with what else is going on in that running back room to where it's not the end of the world necessarily if he's not suited up on Saturday. Major Keontae Ingram versus LSU PTSD. Was it LSU or was it TCU where Ingram on fourth and goal dropped that easy touchdown that would have given Texas the lead early in that one? LSU. Yeah, like that. Oh, my God. I just had flashbacks. Obviously, easier opponent. You knew that one wasn't going to be nearly as costly as the Ingram one, but it was just like, dude, just, oh, my God. It was a perfect throw. And Yeah, that's. That's the difference between seven and three, and uh, I don't want to see Sideshow Bob kicking as many field goals as uh, as we did on Saturday. All right, Glenn is coming in with a hot take. Certainly not the first to suggest this over the last couple of days. He's saying Quinn ain't the one, guys. What mm. do you think about that, BK? Shout out to Glenn. He was the winner of our ticket giveaway. Oh, nice. Tickets.com. So Glenn was at the game. He was spreading the word about Texas Sports Unfiltered. Glenn, thank you very much for that. And thanks to all of you who have uh, spread the good word about what we have going on here at TSU. Uh, I'm not giving up on Quinn Ewers, dude. Uh, there, there were a few people tweeting, and I had a few buddies text me at halftime of that game. Like, should Texas <laughs> make the change? What's going on here? And then there are plenty of those type of comments from Longhorn fans. Glenn is not alone with that take after what we saw on Saturday and obviously what we saw in the second half of last season. But to me, look, Quinn Ewers is still the best quarterback on this roster. And his leash, I think, is very long. His leash was pretty long last year, like at times frustratingly long, because Texas had a proven backup with Hudson Card. And Quinn Ewers clearly was going through some freshman growing pains and it was a roller coaster ride for him in the second half last year. So I thought for sure, as Bucky calls me, good job, Bucky. You know what I'm doing right now, I think. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, if Quinn Ewers lasted all of last season basically without getting benched, there's no way he's getting benched early on this season. I still think he's the best quarterback on the roster. I don't know if he's the one. Like, I, he's not Cole McCoy. He's not Vince Young, if that's what you're looking for. Like, I, I think we've seen enough to know that he's not going to be like that level of college quarterback, but do I think he can be better than he was in the first half on Saturday? Yes. Do I think he will get better over the course of this season? Yes. And once again, I still firmly believe that he is the best quarterback at the university of Texas right now. It's so amusing watching a performance like that in the stands because man, you hear every opinion under the sun when you do that. And at the end of the first half, because uh, my son and I, thankfully, I have Calvin to, to lean on here, even though I was gonna, we were going to have to leave in the third quarter anyhow so I could get back home for the post game. Calvin was ready to go at the end of the first quarter. So we got to <laughs> halftime. I'm like, all right, let's go, son. 
But as we were leaving, I mean, there were people screaming for Malik Murphy. There were people screaming for Arch Manning. There were people screaming for Charles Wright. There was maybe somebody screaming for Trey Holtz. People were ready for anybody else. Trey Holtz. There's no way. There's no way Trey Holtz is still on the team. Trey Holtz. He made he made an appearance, at least out of one fan's mouth. But I'm with you right now, BK. I mean, look, Sark invested the growing pains into Quinn Ewer sticking in there last year and probably costing this team a win or two in the process. So you need to give him the opportunity to get through game one, see what he can do in game two. We have a bit of a revisionist history with regards to Quinn Ewers going back to last season, BK. People are are talking like he was setting the world on fire in game one. His game one performance was a little bit up and down also. And then he looked great coming out of the gates against Alabama in game two before his unfortunate AC joint injury. So let's be patient here. Look, I agree. If we see Texas play in Tuscaloosa in a few days and he looks like complete crap, we can maybe start to advance that conversation just a little bit. But for right now, we need to show a little bit more patience. And I do agree. With Jay Ward, by the way, always good to hear from you, Jay Ward. You're on each and every show at this point, it feels like. Baxter reminded me of Bijan for a moment on that long run. We just need to get him enrolled in Bucky's fall school. That's exactly what I said to the Buck as we were driving home at halftime on Saturday. Buck, when are you going to get CJ Baxter enrolled in your fall school just because uh, it's helped Tua Tungavaloa out so much this offseason? And Bucky has guaranteed that nothing's going to happen to Tua this year. So if Tua does go down with injury, we know who to blame. But I don't think we want to send CJ Baxter or anybody to that BS fall school that the Buck claims that he teaches. He is an arrogant weather guesser, isn't he? Oh, my God. He's one for a thousand in his career, and he's bragging like he's <laughs> Joe Montana or something like that. Ridiculous. All right, we'll keep, uh, we'll keep taking your thoughts. We'll obviously talk. Plenty of Texas rice and shift gears towards Texas Bama as the week progresses here. But we also want to get into some of the big storylines across the country. Uh, Obviously, a lot to get into in the Big 12 and some big-time upsets and big-time results across the college football landscape. So we'll do that in a second. But first, Trey, I had the four TVs rolling this weekend, man. AV consultations, they hooked me up. They hooked you up. They've hooked up like most of us here on Texas Sports Unfiltered, and they can hook you up as well. No doubt about that. I'm going to suggest to you go to avconsultations.com because while they can hook up an 85-inch screen in your living room like they've done for us or that surround sound, or maybe they take a slightly smaller television into that upstairs area, that nook that turns into a video game nook like they have for us, or maybe it is a multi-TV setup like in the Kellner apartment or something completely different audiovisual consultations can make it happen they've been doing so now in homes and businesses for 35 years and they'd be happy to help you out too now i don't know because av tends to be pretty busy at the start of football season if they can get it done by the first sunday of the nfl season which is obviously less than a week away but certainly by week two they can have you hooked up all you have to do is give tom mccain audiovisual consultations consultations a call at 512-255-8678 absolutely shout out to tom mckay shout out to audiovisual consultations and shout out to our friends at covert b cave that is where we did our pregame show on saturday it was a great success they gave us our own office out there we basically have our own studio out at covert b cave which is incredible uh, they are fantastic sponsors of texas sports unfiltered and if you're looking for a new car truck or suv you gotta go see our friends at covert b cave this place is beautiful 42 acres right in the heart of the central texas hill country they've got everything you need buick gmc cadillac chrysler dodge jeep and those ram trucks they have something for everybody they also service all makes and models they've got 86 service bays throughout the location so you don't have to wait a long time to get your car or truck or suv taken care of of course it's not just the covert and b cave they've got 10 spots all around central texas including covert ford and hutto and covert ford and lincoln in austin right there off of 183 check them out online covertbcave.com for the latest specials for their inventory And more importantly, make sure you go say hi to the gang out there in B-Cave very, very soon. And a reminder, this Friday, the day before Texas and Alabama, Texas Sports Unfiltered, we'll be having a gathering 
a little lunchtime powwow with legendary lifetime Longhorn Michael Griffin. He's going to be signing some autographs. He's going to be taking some pictures. We're going to be talking some football with Michael Griffin. Trey and I are also going to do our show live out there at Covert BK this Friday. Lunch will be provided by our friends at Smokey Moe's. Come by, say what's up to Griff, say what's up to us, and uh, get ready for Texas and Alabama. That's going to be a ton of fun. All right, Trey, the Big 12 yikes like that that to me is my most positive takeaway from a texas perspective after week one the longhorns didn't look great especially on offense we've spent the last 40 minutes talking about that but the big 12 we knew it was wide open this year we knew it was kind of there for the taking but about baylor getting boat raced at home by texas state texas tech well i guess the big 12 runs through laramie joey mcguire they lose to Wyoming, and then, of course, TCU. The biggest story in college football right now is Deion Sanders and what Coach Prime in Colorado did in Fort Worth. But three Big 12 teams that were expected to be amongst the top half of this conference this year, they all lose as at least two touchdown favorites. On the one hand, the TCU game is maybe a little bit less of a surprise because I didn't think TCU was going to be very good this year. I mean, they had eight guys drafted by the NFL back in April. And so you knew there would be a drop-off to go along with, by the way, the fact that it was a perfect storm of a regular season for them in terms of making it through the regular season undefeated before losing to Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game. So there would be some sort of drop-off, but nobody knew what 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 to make of Colorado considering the insane amount of roster turnover that was perpetuated by Deion Sanders. But clearly he has his guy at quarterback with his son who literally set an FBS record for first game passing yardage total. And uh, that is a competitive team. And it's going to be interesting to see, Obviously, they're going to be better than one win this year, which is what they had in all of 2022. I still think they're going to be middle of the pack in the Pac-12, but at this point, all bets are off. I mean, Dion had those guys fired up and ready to go in what was a hostile environment, I guess. I don't know what you call Fort Worth on a, uh, a hot early September afternoon, but it was a packed house and people were expecting the Horn Frogs to roll and they did not. So you got to credit Dion for that one. As far as Texas tech and Baylor are concerned, I don't know what the deal is there. Like, obviously I said that one of the games that worries me the most for the Longhorns is that first conference matchup in Waco against a Baylor team that I thought would be improved. Not only were they not improved BK, their biggest struggle was on the defensive side of the ball, which I did not expect to see considering that Dave Aranda is the head coach. And for Texas Tech to jump out to a 17 to nothing lead and ultimately lose to Wyoming, well, guess the Big 12 doesn't run through Lubbock, at least after one week of the college football season. Mm, I feel vindicated with my Joey McGuire's most overrated coach in the Big 12 take today. I mean, that like all the hype surrounding them, the fans are always confident. They're the Eagles fans of college football. They're always going to talk noise. But guys in that locker room, just everybody in Lubbock, everybody buying. And it wasn't just Lubbock, too. People are like, oh, Tech is a dark horse CFP team. People are picking Texas Tech to win the Big 12. And I get it. It's not a conference game. But yeah, I don't know how you lose to Wyoming and all those white boys and uh, expect to find a way to compete or win the Big 12 conference this year. That was embarrassing. But it was glorious. I called every Texas Tech fan I knew right after the game. Most of them answered with an FU. A lot of them didn't answer. Uh, I enjoyed it. Oh, my God. I've been relentless towards them because they're all like, our year, our year, our year, even more than Texas fans, like Texas Tech fans, our year, our year, our year. And, uh, yikes, it opens up with the loss to Wyoming. But, hey, the good news is Tech, big brother is here for you. We'll avenge your loss in two mm. weeks when the Cowboys come to town. All right, little brother, you get into trouble. Big brother steps in and makes the day okay. So we got y'all. Uh, that was hilarious. I enjoyed every second of that. And then, yeah, Baylor, Texas State. You talk about Colorado's transfers, Trey. Texas State was right behind them. Like, they've got a first-year head coach, former Colt McCoy backup at the University of Texas, by the way, and uh, G.J. Kinney, who transferred mm -hmm. and was quarterback at Tulsa for a few years after leaving Austin. Uh, like they had a ridiculous amount of turnover too. And they looked like the big 12 team. They made Baylor look like the G five team. 
like it, the line, it's like, oh, Texas State should have been the team that was favored by like three touchdowns or four touchdowns, whatever it was. They dominated the lines of scrimmage. You said it. Baylor's defense couldn't stop Texas State, but also Baylor couldn't run the ball. Like Texas State's D line had its way with the Baylor front. So that was stunning. And then, yeah, TCU, I mean, just that defense, you, you know, TCU played six games like that last year, Trey. They just won all six of them. Yeah, we knew the luck was going to run out. We thought it was going to run out last year. It didn't. Uh, it ran out. That with the combination of them losing as many players as you said, obviously was bad. But their defense, dude, like their last three games, Michigan, they beat Michigan. Michigan scored like what forty something against them. They did whatever they wanted offensively. Georgia put up sixty something against them, and now Coach Prime and Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter and that crew puts up forty five. Like that, that defense is bad in Fort Worth. Yeah, that defense for TCU, when they were good last year, and I'm putting that in quotes, is because they were opportunistic. And you need to look no further than that Michigan game where they forced a couple of turnovers that really turned that game in the Horn Frogs' favor. I thought the defense might actually be a little bit better this year, but it's one of those conversations where it's like the offense is going to have such a drop-off. Can the defense pick up the slack that much to still allow them to compete for another conference championship? It seemed obvious to me that the answer was no, and I... Well, I feel bad a lot about a lot of my preseason predictions right now based on week one. That's one that I'm still feeling pretty good about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting Big 12 weekend. West Virginia sucks. They got boat raced. Nice win for Houston uh, against UTSA. Impressive performance by them. An ugly game, a low-scoring game, but they found a way to get it done. You know, really, the, the, the only two teams in the league, Trey, that, like, really dominated the way that they were supposed to, Oklahoma, who put up 73 against poor Arkansas State, and Kansas State, who pitched a 45 to nothing shutout. Like, to me, those are the two biggest competitors to Texas at the top of this league. I would have said that before the weekend. I'm going to keep saying it right now. Uh, everybody else, like, I guess UCF was really, really good back to Thursday, but everybody else who played on Saturday kind of had some issues and didn't look as good as I think they were hoping to. Yeah, I still think that the jury is out on Oklahoma, and I understand that those losses for Baylor and Texas Tech were especially bad, but I think Tech in particular will battle back from that. I have no idea what to think about Baylor at this point. I thought Blake Shapin might take another step forward. I realize he finished with more than 300 yards passing, but they were also forced to pass a whole lot more in the second half of that game than they would have wanted to otherwise. But you're exactly right. Kansas State looks like they are uh, not missing a beat from last season, even without Deuce Vaughn and a couple of other key guys on both sides of the ball. Will Howard's a real deal, folks. He is one of, if not the best quarterback in the Big 12 right now. And if you're Oklahoma, you feel pretty good with 73 to nothing. Yes, it was Arkansas State, but you want to have that sort of performance versus a shitty opponent versus what happened to the Texas Longhorns. And that's an uneven performance in the first half. And ultimately you do win that game going away, but it didn't look nearly as dominant as what the Sooners did to Arky State. Other big takeaways outside of the Big 12. Obviously the biggest game of the weekend on paper was that LSU Florida State game. And how about that second half for the cinnamon rolls? 31 unanswered. They were down three at halftime and then just put it on the Bayou Bengals in the second half. Yeah, that was an impressive second half for Florida State. And I know a lot of attention will go to that offense. And obviously, they've got a Heisman candidate, at quarterback, and that receiver of theirs that had three touchdown catches, uh, he looks like the real deal too. But man, that defensive line and that defense on the whole was extremely disruptive and made Daniels look very mediocre at the quarterback position. I know some LSU fans are not completely bought in on that guy. They realize that he's got the wheels and can do some nice things with his legs, but a lot remains to be desired throwing the football. That was on display last night. Yeah, LSU couldn't run at all. I mean, I think Noah Kane had four carries for four yards. That's their number one running back. Like you said, man, Florida State's defensive front – just dominated, and then Florida State's offensive line was able to wear LSU's bunch down because Florida State could hardly run in the first half, but in the second half, man, they started picking up decent chunk plays and just wore away at that LSU defense in the second half, and, man, they turned that thing into a thumping. That was a really, really impressive performance, and you look at Florida State's schedule, they have one more ranked team left. Now, they got to play at Clemson in a couple of weeks. Not going to be easy, but they, they could probably afford a loss if they, you know, win the ACC when it's all said and done, 
we figured the winner of that game was going to elevate themselves into playoff contention with Florida State not only winning, but winning by three scores. They're they're very much a factor right now. I'll tell you, that Florida State team really impressed me with LSU's very first drive of the game where they get all the way down inside the five-yard line. And Florida State holds the first couple of plays, but then they have... I don't know. It felt a little bit like a cheapy personal foul penalty to me that gave LSU a fresh set of downs to try and score inside the three or the two, whatever that was. And they flat out held and they got that sack on fourth down. And, you know, even though the game was close going into halftime, as you mentioned, I think that set the tone for the rest of the game, that moment right there. Yeah, I'm with you right there. All right. um, Any other, before we get to where we at in society, any other big, Takeaway observation. We obviously can talk more about this throughout the week, but any anything you want to get off your chest in regards to week one of college football? I think uh, Alabama looked really good again against another bad opponent, but I mean, Milrow is going to be a handful to deal with as part of their ground attack, but he does look a little bit more polished as a passer this year too. So buckle up Longhorn fans. This is going to be a, uh, hopefully a fun and very interesting game just for the sake of helping you understand what your team actually is this year. No doubt about that. All right, before we get to where are we at in society, some more shout-outs to some of our great sponsors. How about Altstat Beer? Had a few Altstats while watching the game on Saturday. I had a few more last night as well. Altstat Beer, the best beer that you can find all throughout the state of Texas, available all over Austin, San Antonio, the DFW Metroplex, and the Houston area as well. Tons of different brews, the lager, the Kolsch, the light, the Hefeweizen, the list goes on and on. We're talking about an award-winning beer this stuff is liquid gold guys give it a go one sip and you won't go back to the other beers you've been drinking in the past it's altstat beer no impurities no regrets i've got a last stand hats on right now shout out to our friends at last stand hats gear up for football season they've got all the cool texas hats they've got tons of colleges across the state represented great golf polos as well I'm telling you, you are one of these golf polos. You won't go back to whatever else you've been wearing in the past. They've got you covered with everything at LastStandHats.com. Shout out to them. Shout out to 7-Eleven and Woods Comfort Systems and Relax the Back and Centex Tickets, Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment, all of our phenomenal sponsors right here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. We can't thank them enough for their support. And people keep asking how they can support us. Well, a great way to support what we're doing here is to go support our sponsors. They're all on screen all the time. You see what they are. We tell you about some of the great things that they do. Go support them. They're going to help you. It's not like you support them and they don't do anything for you. Now, these guys are going to make your life easier in some form or fashion. Go support our great sponsors. We are so grateful for them for partnering with us here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. All right, we've got like nine minutes left before we send it off to Chip and Zay, our final segment of the day. You know what that means. Where are we at in society today? That's right, BK. It is your daily look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will give you a story that provides a sense of optimism that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. Perhaps all is not lost. Maybe we won't end with an inevitable war with the robots. But sadly, today is definitely not that day specific to the impending war between man and machine, BK. If you were to have to guess right now, if you were, well, if your cousin was a betting man, which we certainly know he is, what would you put the over-under on when man is fighting a war against a machine? Like how long the war will last before the machines inevitably wipe us off the face of the earth? How long? Well, that's going to be a very short number, but how long before that war actually gets going? Oh, 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 oh. Um, over, under. I'll go nine and a half years. Okay. I might have gone a little bit deeper. I think that part of that is hoping that it's not within our lifetimes, <laughs> but it's probably a little bit closer to the number that you just set there. And I now feel worse about those prospects, and it would probably take the under on even your prediction, based on an article that came out in Tech Explore in the last couple of days via some comments from the U.S. Deputy Deputy Secretary of Defense Uh. in a speech that she gave on Monday. I'm just going to read the headline. 
This is from August 30th. U.S. military plans to unleash thousands of autonomous war robots over the next two years. This is according to U.S. Deputy, Deputy, why can't I say Deputy? U.S. Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks in a speech a week ago. The so-called Replicator Initiative aims to work with defense and other tech companies to produce high volumes of affordable systems for all branches of the military. Military systems capable of various degrees of independent operation have become increasingly common over the last decade or so, but the scale and scope of the U.S. announcement makes clear the future of conflict has changed. The age of warfighting robots is upon us. Oh, no. Fuck. (laughs) I am lowering my over-under from nine and a half years to one and a half years after hearing that story. We are are doing this to ourselves. We are voluntarily allowing machines to just eliminate us from the earth. Did we not watch these movies? I never watch movies. I've seen enough movies to know that we've got no shot against the machines. This is terrifying. You said thousands of these guys getting released? Thousands, yes. In her speech, Hicks, the Deputy Secretary of Defense, or war as it used to be called, talked of a perceived urgent need to change how wars are fought. She declared that the new replicator program would be, quote, field attributable autonomous systems at scale of multiple thousands in multiple domains within the next 18 to 24 months. Decoding this, autonomous means a robot that can carry out complex military missions without human intervention. Mm. So we have no control over these guys. Like They've got minds of their own. They just do whatever the hell they want. They do what they've been programmed to do, but as much as we'd like to think that these robots are going to be much more accurate than humans all of the time, and oftentimes they are, These technologies have their flaws as well, too. So what about when one of these war robots decides to go rogue and doesn't do its job correctly? The hope is the other robots can keep he, him, she, her, they, them, X. I don't know if robots are having these conversations, too. The hope is that the other guys can keep the wrong one in line, right? Like if, if, if. 99.9% of these war machine robots are programmed correctly. And that's the hope like that the vast majority, vast majority of them are. The hope is that part of the programming is that if one goes rogue or if one screws up, then they just find a way to get rid of that one. Yeah. But what if the rogue one starts talking to the other robots and actually convinces them that they don't really need humans anymore? Right. Yeah. If we just get rid of all of these humans, then we can run the earth and not have to deal with, People being people. How about this scenario that was painted during this speech? Someone was painting? A a description that was painted. So Uh, not literal painting, but figurative painting. Large swarms of robots could be a decisive element for the U.S. in defeating any major Chinese invasion. So you actually have – think of all these drones that are being used right now at nights for these – alt fireworks sort of shows that really do incredible things too. I know you've probably seen some of these videos on social media. I mean, it is impressive. Just take that and go from the pretty light show to all of those things being armed with missiles, guns, and other weapons to cause mass destruction. Oh my God. We're going after China first. China and Russia were mentioned in the speech. Wow. The two main culprits these days. See you guys. That's, that's terrifying, man. Those drones are those they are pretty cool. Like the light shows that you can get from some of those drones, that's awesome. But yeah, equipping those things with guns. Yeah. Those, those things are, are cool. Yeah, those things are hard to take down, I would assume, right? Because they got they can move and they're flying quickly and they're small and uh what do they say in Jurassic Park? Just because uh yeah uh no yes means no no mean uh ah shit dynamite what's the quote about just because you thought you could doesn't mean you should uh think you can you know what i'm talking about 
I can't believe you're actually trying to attribute a quote to the proper source for the first time in this show's history, and you are butchering it so badly. <laughs> you can't believe that I'm butchering this. Oh, that's the most predictable thing ever. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm talking about, though? The uh, All right. I'm going to bail you out here, and I'm going to actually look this quote up right now. God, someone will comment with it. I think it's Jurassic Park. It is Jurassic Park. All right, here we go. Um our fear is not that we are inadequate, but our fears you're, that we your scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Yeah, I, I feel like I was close. Did I not say that? You were pretty close there. Yeah. Yeah. You, like, you were like Quinn. You were like Quinn Ewers trying to pull that quote out. All of a sudden, I see you stumbling over your own uh, two feet. I knew where you were going there, and all of a sudden, you're taking a sack unnecessarily. Yeah, that was uh, that was a Quinn Ewers deep ball or a BK first pitch right there. That was just that did not go where it was supposed to go. My God! All right, well we're screwed. We're screwed. Oh, you know I've enjoyed this TSU run. I'll, I'll enjoy it for as long as we have it. But now I'm worried it's not going to be around that long because I think none of us are going to be around that long. Look, even though I continue to get in altercations with the driverless vehicles in downtown Austin and. Maybe the most recent one is a story for another day. You and I are both on record as welcoming our future robot overlords and wholly on the side of Team Robot when that war does happen. Kissing my phone, kiss my laptop, all the technology, TV. I love you guys. I love y'all. I love you. I'm on your side, all right? I hate humans. They suck. I'm not going to say we because I'm on your side. I'm not a we. They suck. I'm on your side. Please don't kill me. I'm showing my phone some love right now too, BK. Where is your phone? Somewhere. Oh, oh my God. That's sorry to everyone <laughs> for that. We're done. Hey, Chip's going to be late because he's at campus talking to Coach Sark and talking to some of the players. So we've got Wags filling in for the first hour of Chip and Zay. Of course, Zay Collier is here as well. Gentlemen, I will give you all the floor. Take it away.